We open the Holy Scriptures this morning to Titus chapter 3. Read together this third and final chapter of the book of Titus before turning to Lord's Day 11. Let us hear the word of God in Titus 3. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will, that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Bring Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. All that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Based on this passage and the entirety of Scripture, we turn to Lord's Day 11 and consider its instruction. Beginning in question 29. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, a Savior? Because he saveth us, and delivereth us from our sins. And likewise, because we ought not to seek, neither can find, salvation in any other. Do such then believe in Jesus, the only Savior, who seek their salvation and welfare of saints, of themselves or anywhere else? They do not. For though they boast of him in words, yet in deeds they deny Jesus the only Deliverer and Savior. For one of these two things must be true. Either that Jesus is not a complete Savior, or that they who by a true faith receive this Savior must find all things in him necessary to their salvation. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostles' Creed, which we are studying now in this section of the Heidelberg Catechism, is explaining to us the 
fundamentals of Christianity. The contents of the saving faith set before us in Lord's Day 7. We have already noted that this doctrinally rich creed is also arranged in a doctrinally instructive way. It is arranged according to the doctrine of the Trinity. So that as the Apostles' Creed leads us through the fundamental tenets of the Christian faith, it also sets before us that cardinal truth of the Trinity that God is one God, and yet there are three divine persons who are that one God. We have finished the first article of the Apostles' Creed and entered into its instruction about God the Father and our creation, as well as the reality of God's providence, that he upholds and governs all things according to his good pleasure. And it is now that we turn to the second article of the Creed, which explains to us God the Son and our redemption. We turn from God the Father who created all things and uphold all things, to the Word made flesh, by whom he created all things, and in whom all things consist. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in the same breath we confess, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. In that second article of the Creed then, we have four of the Bible's main names for the Son of God. Jesus, Christ, only begotten Son, and Lord. And the next part of the Catechism is going to unpack the meaning of these four significant names of God the Son in our flesh. And these names are worth our attention because they are revelatory. That is, these names show us who Jesus is and who he is and what he has done for those who believe in him. The name of Jesus is a name unlike any other name. It is a name with power. It is the one name given among men whereby we must be saved. And so that's what we're going to consider for a short while this morning. Those first words of the second article of the creed. And in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. We're going to delve into that wonderful name of Jesus. There's no sweeter name to the believer than the name of Jesus. That name is our theme. Jesus. The name Jesus. Three things that this name reveals about God the Son. First, He is our only Savior. Secondly, He is a mighty Savior. And finally, He is my Savior. The Catechism begins with this question, Why is the Son of God called Jesus that is a Savior? Jesus, in the Scriptures, is called Savior. And we find that in a striking way in Titus chapter 3. When we look at Titus 3, starting at verse 4, we read this, But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward men appeared. God is our Savior. He is the one who saves us. But now, moving down to verse 6, We read this, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You note immediately there that Titus chapter 3 teaches the divinity of Jesus Christ. 
And it does so in a very simple way, by stating God is our Savior, and then going on to state Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is the Savior, and the triune God saves His people through the work of God the Son incarnate, who came to save His people from their sins. Jesus is Savior. The name Jesus is a name that the Father gave to His Son. It's a name that was ordained in eternity, but a name that was given in time at the announcement that God gave to the Virgin Mary through the mouth of His angel. You can read of that in Luke 1 verse 31, the familiar words, Thou shalt bring forth a Son, and shalt call His name Jesus. That was the name that God chose and commanded to be given to His Son when He was come in the flesh. Jesus. We give names to our children for various reasons. Parents might give their child a name because they like the sound of that name. Or they may give their child a certain name because that name has history in their family. Perhaps it was their grandfather's name or great-grandfather. But the reason God gives His Son in the flesh the name Jesus is that the name Jesus precisely and exactly expresses and reveals who the Son of God in the flesh is and what He will do. His work and His mission are bound up and revealed in this name. It's a God-given name and it is a God-explained name. And that comes out in the other place in the Bible where God commands that His Son be given the name Jesus. Matthew 1 verse 21, when the same angel appears to Joseph and delivers God's word. Matthew 1 verse 21, there the angel says, She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And then the angel explains why. Why this son conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the powerful operation of the Spirit. Why he is to be called Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. That's who he is. That's what he's come to do. That's his name. And that gets us to the meaning of the name Jesus. The name Jesus means... Jehovah's salvation. Children here, you can remember this in a simple way. Take the name Jesus, those five letters, you can think of them, you put them before your mind, and you put a line after the J-E. J-E, what does that part mean? Well, think of the first two letters in the special name that God reveals Himself with in the Scriptures. Jehovah, the one true God, has the name Jehovah. And that's His special covenant name in which He expresses His relationship of love and friendship, His faithfulness to His people. Jesus is Jehovah. The J-E in Jesus' name comes from the Hebrew word Jehovah. Jesus is Jehovah. He is the Son of God. Jehovah. But now the last three letters of Jesus' name. S-U-S. Those three letters mean saves. S-U-S means S-A-V-E-S. Saves. 
S-U-S is from the Hebrew word for salvation or saves. And now you put those two things together. And that's by God's design. God designed the two syllables of Jesus' name to communicate and reveal to us who He is, what He came to do, who He is to you. Savior. Jehovah's salvation. Jesus is Savior. Well, that leads to the question then, what is a Savior? And what is salvation? If Jesus is the Savior, what does that entail? What does He do for His people? What is this salvation that He brings? A Savior is simply someone who rescues you from a great peril and brings you to safety. So think of a burning building. And someone who is up three, four, five floors in this burning building. And the person is trapped in a room. The fire is right outside the door. The smoke is coming in through the crack under the door. There is no escape for this person. This person is trapped in that burning building. Great peril. And that person is, comes to the window. They can't climb out the window. It would be far too long a jump or a fall. If they were to climb out of that window, they would perish. Then the fireman comes up on his ladder. And the fireman rescues that person out of that burning building. The person rescued from that burning building would call that fireman a rescuer or a savior. That fireman came and delivered that person from great peril and brings them To safety. That's the idea of a savior. And that's really what salvation is. Salvation is deliverance out of great peril. Great evil. But not only that. It's not just a negative thing. Rescue from. But it is deliverance into. It is a bringing into of safety. Of well-being. Of flourishing. The greatest good. That's what Jesus does. He is our rescuer who rescues us from our greatest peril and brings us into everlasting safety in the favor and loving presence of God. Thus, answer 29 says, Jesus is called Savior because He saveth us. And then answer 29 goes on to define precisely the nature of this salvation that our Savior works and performs for us and delivereth us from our sins. You hear Matthew 1 verse 21 in the catechism's own language. God said he shall be called Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. That's the kind of savior, that's the kind of rescuer Jesus is. A far better rescuer than any fireman who delivers someone from a burning building. Jesus delivers us from our sins. For our sins are our greatest peril. The greatest evil that we face. Jesus is the savior who comes to lift us up from the miry pit. To Save us from the peril of drowning eternally in the lake of fire. He is the Savior who comes to give us not only the continuation of earthly life. He's not merely an earthly Savior. Not even primarily. He is a spiritual Savior. Who comes to give us everlasting life with God. 
He is the Savior who comes to destroy the power of death and to redeem us from the pit of corruption, to redeem us from the destruction that our sins otherwise would plunge us into and to lift us up into the glorious life and liberty of the children of God. He is the Savior who saves from the greatest peril which we put ourselves in by our sin. And He is the Savior who comes to give us the greatest good which we by our sin forfeited. And so that's a very important point to see this morning. Jesus is the Savior from sin. And that means Jesus is actually a Savior. He's a Savior for real, you might say. And He's actually a Savior because He deals with the root Of all of our problems. Sin is the root of all of our problems. Every evil, every peril that we face in this life ultimately can be traced back to sin. Now make no mistake in saying that, I'm not saying that every trial or suffering that we face is the direct result of some personal sin. We know that's not the case. The saint who learns that they have been afflicted with cancer is not to go back and study their life and try to find some sin that God is punishing me for. That's not the idea. But when we make this point, what we mean is that all suffering, all of the agonies, all of the perils of this life, trace their genealogy back to that fall of Adam and Eve into sin. All evil is the consequence of human sin. Sin is our big problem. What we need to be saved from is the fact that we are fallen creatures who have subjugated ourselves to all of the misery that sin produces. We are fallen creatures who have rebelled against the one true and living God. And as rebels, we deserve to be punished. Sin brings guilt. Sin brings shame. Sin brings pollution. Sin makes us slaves. Sin begets misery after misery after misery. And unless we have a Savior who addresses the heart of our problem, who takes care of the root issue, we have no Savior at all. There are all sorts of so-called Saviors out there. But this is what exposes them all. Every so-called Savior doesn't get to the root of our problem. No so-called Savior can save us from our sins. One Savior can and does, whose name is Jehovah's salvation, Jesus. Think of it this way. Someone is brought into the hospital with a gunshot wound. It's a fatal wound unless this person receives the necessary medical attention to stop the bleeding. Person's brought into the operating room and the surgeon gives them a couple pills of Tylenol to maybe dull the pain a little bit and says, All right, you're good. That's what every other Savior is. Every other so called Savior may deal with some of the symptoms, dull the pain a little bit for a little while, distract us from the miseries that sin generates in this life, but no so-called Savior, nothing else out there can address the root problem. 
No one but Jesus who is the great physician. Who does the spiritual operation upon us that is actually life saving. And does it the most marvelous way by giving himself for us. Giving himself unto the death of the cross. To free us from the guilt of sin. To bear away the punishment our sin deserves. To obtain for us everlasting righteousness and salvation. In order to impart to us the life-giving and quickening spirit. To renew us day by day. Jesus is the only physician who correctly diagnoses our root problem. Sin. And administers the medicine that actually saves us. God's grace. Forgiveness of sins. His righteousness. It is precisely because Jesus is the Savior from sin. That he is a Savior at all. Now to wrap up the first point. One more thing for us to give our attention to. And that is this. That the name Jesus reveals that the Son of God is the only Savior. Let not the language or our translation of Lord's Day 11, question 29, confuse us. Why is the Son of God called Jesus that is a Savior? We must not read that as implying that Jesus is a Savior, but there are other Saviors alongside of Him. Really, that could be better translated by scratching the A, getting rid of it. It's not necessary for it to be there. The idea is this. The Son of God is called Jesus, that is Savior. He is the Savior, the only Savior, the exclusive Savior. And the rest of the Lord's Day brings that out. As the end of answer 29 states, because we ought not to seek, neither can find salvation in any other. One Savior, the God-appointed Savior, Jesus Christ. We go back to what we've learned in the earlier part of the catechism and we understand why Jesus is the only one who is qualified to be this Savior. For He is God. God in the flesh and divine power is necessary to bear the burden of the holy wrath of God against the sins of His people. But God's justice requires that the same human nature which sinned must also pay for sin. And thus, Jesus Christ is God the Son in our flesh. He bears the wrath of God against our sin in His human nature, but sustains that human nature in the bearing of God's wrath by His own almighty divine power. And because no sinner is able to redeem other sinners, our Lord Jesus Christ is that perfectly righteous man Who throughout the entire course of his life never once wavered from his love for God and his love for the neighbor. Who kept every jot and tittle of the divine law fulfilling all righteousness. He alone is qualified to do the work of salvation. Thus Jesus says of himself in John 14 verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but By me. Every other way of salvation. Every other way to God. That man might devise. Or that man might look to for salvation. Every other way. Leads to the opposite of salvation. To death. There is one way. 
Jesus. Jesus, the God-given Savior. And so question and answer 30 emphasizes that this is a cardinal truth of Christianity. That there is one Lord, one Savior, Jesus Christ, no other. Let that truth be impressed upon us, beloved. You cannot find salvation in any other. You must not look for salvation in any other. No other may be set alongside the Lord Jesus. He is the only Savior. It's all Jesus or no Jesus. We must trust Him alone or Him not at all. There is no in-between. Jesus will not share this title, Savior, with any other. He and He alone is Savior. The Catechism makes that point. Because when the Catechism was written... Reformed fathers were engaging in conflict with the Roman Catholic Church, which denied this truth, and set others alongside Jesus Christ as co-saviors or helpers in salvation, the saints. While that false doctrine may not be so much of a temptation for us today, there are other things we can be tempted to trust. Think about it for a moment. Is there anything, anyone, You're tempted to trust alongside Jesus for the satisfaction of your soul, to give you safety, to give you peace. Our wealth and prosperity, sometimes we can trust in those things. I'm good, I've stored up a lot for the future, I have a big retirement account. Be at rest, soul. Enjoy this life. While we should be thankful for those good gifts of God, let us never let our hearts rest in them. For what can money, what can prosperity, what can anything in this life do to deliver us from that last enemy? Death. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing and no one can do for us what Jesus has done. Look to the cross. Look at the empty tomb. Nothing else can do that. That's why it's good for Christians at times to go to the graveside. And we do when the Lord takes a loved one from us. We go to that graveside. It's a hard place to stand. Many tears are shed. And yet the Lord Lord does something good at the graveside. He grounds us again in this truth of the catechism and of the scriptures. That there is no savior. When we look death in the face, we see there is no savior here below. There is nothing that can save us from this this reality of death that is the end of all men. There is no salvation apart from Jesus. The one who died for his people to save them from their sins and who burst Forth from the grave with new resurrection life. At the graveside we see the vanity of every so-called Savior. And we see again the all-sufficiency of the only Savior. Christ Jesus. Anything else 
we might trust in. Maybe our lineage. Grew up in a Christian family. Have long-standing church membership. Good gifts of God for which we ought to be thankful. But don't trust in them. That's not what saves. Remember the Pharisees. They trusted their Abrahamic descent. We are the children of Abraham after the flesh. And they thought they were good. That's not what saves. Jesus saves. Trust Jesus. Look to Jesus. And Jesus alone. Jesus is the Savior. And the only Savior. But now in the second place this morning, the catechism will set before us another important truth about our only Savior. And this important truth is necessary for our comfort. Namely this, He's a mighty Savior. Think about it. If the only Savior was not a mighty Savior, we would have no comfort. For how could we be assured that this Savior would actually be able to do The work of salvation. No. We have comfort. Because the only Savior. The God given Savior from sin. Is also a mighty Savior. And that means this. It's not that. He might save us. He is mighty. To save us. He has the power. To perform the work. Given to him by his father. Such that he is an effective savior. The name Jesus reveals that. This is who the son of God in our flesh is. Who he is to us. Jehovah's salvation. He is not one who tries to save. He is one who perfectly saves. Every single one His elect people for whom he came to die. Matthew 1 verse 21 makes that clear. Thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. And in that word shall sounds forth the almighty power of God. When God says shall, he is making a promise. He is guaranteeing something. And the fullness of his omnipotence is behind that word shall. That's different from you and me. We might have the best intentions. We might tell someone, I shall do this. I will see to it. But something might get in our way. Something might thwart us or we might sinfully fail to keep our promise. But God is the God who never lies. God is the almighty God. And when he says shall... It will infallibly be done. Jesus is the effective Savior. He has the power to do the job. He has the power to carry out the work that is revealed in His own name. He does not merely provide the opportunity to be saved. He is not simply a chance giver or a self-salvation enabler, but he is the Savior. When he said on the cross, it is finished. It really was. When Jesus said, it is finished, 
He did not mean, all right, everything is set up. Now all that's left is for man to take advantage of this perfect work that I've finished and avail himself of it such that he may be saved. No. When Jesus says, it is finished, he was saying, the sins of all my people, all of the elect that the Father has given to me, they are paid for by my atoning sacrifice. I have merited forgiveness of sins for all of my people. I have earned everlasting righteousness for them. I have earned them a place in glory as the sons and daughters and heirs of God my Father. And all that I have earned for them, I will infallibly apply to them by my Spirit. It is finished. Salvation accomplished. For all my own. He is mighty, mighty to save. The second thing that's implied in this truth that our Savior is a mighty Savior. He's an effective Savior. That in the first place. In the second place, He is a complete Savior. He is mighty to completely save you. Not partially save you. Not mostly save you. Not almost fully deal with that sin problem that will destroy you. But completely. 100%. A complete Savior. He does absolutely everything that is necessary to save us from our sins. The Catechism emphasizes we find All things necessary for our salvation in Him. All things. Titus 3 expresses that beautifully. Verses 4 through 7. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Notice that as a statement of fact, this is what He has done. Done, saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's so much packed into that statement. All you could ask for is packed into that statement. A complete, complete Savior. He shall save his people from their sins. Sins, plural. Every single one of them. Every dimension of sin. The guilt. The guilt that weighs upon our conscience. That liability to be punished for our sin. Jesus took it and Jesus bore it. That our consciences may be quieted. And forgiven and righteous in him. Punishment, the legal penalty of God's law, which is temporal and eternal death that the sinner deserves to bear. Jesus bore it. He took it. That's the cross. And He bore it away. So that for you and for me and for all who are united to Jesus by a true and living faith, there is no more punishing wrath. There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That power, that dominion of sin, we still wrestle with now. 
Jesus is the Savior who has delivered us from it and is working continually in us to deliver us from it. He has broken that power of sin, that dominion, so that we, as His regenerated people, are no longer in bondage. We are no longer slaves of sin. But by His Spirit, we have the power to overcome sin and to walk in it no longer. And by the work of the Spirit of the living Christ in us more and more throughout our earthly life, that is the work He is doing, applying and imparting to us the benefits of the cross, refashioning us into His image until that last day when He presents us without spot or wrinkle before Himself in exceeding glory. He saves from the shame, the shame of sin, shame That the Christian does not have to bear because it's covered in the blood of Christ. From the pollution, the defilement of sin. Covered by His blood and the robes of His righteousness. A complete, complete Savior. And so now let's point out a couple of comforts that we derive from this truth. Jesus is Jehovah's salvation. He is the Savior, the only Savior, the actual Savior, because He saves us from our sins, and He is mighty to save us from our sins, and He completely saves us from our sins. That means we have assurance and peace. That means we have hope and happiness. That means... That even in the midst of this stormy, treacherous, troublesome world. We are delivered from the greatest peril. And have everlasting safety through the Savior. The truth that Jesus is the Savior, the effective, the complete Savior. Is the foundation of our assurance and peace in this life. Jesus really saves. Your soul can rest in Him. Nothing can take you from Him. If He is mighty to save, nothing can thwart Him from performing the good work that He has begun. The good work He will surely finish. Nothing can undo that good work of the mighty Savior. You really can. Trust Him. He's mighty enough to keep you. He's mighty enough that nothing can separate you from His love. He's mighty enough that you can't even pull yourself from His saving arms. Even when you and I as sheep follow the devices of our own heart and wander far, you really can trust Him. He has rescued you and given you safety. That's the comfort, the hope that belongs to the believer. And so following from that, for those who trust in Jesus, life is never hopeless. Never is. Jesus came for poor sinners like you and me. 
He saved us from our sins. And in Him, every evil, every peril, will either be turned to our profit or averted from us. We have a Savior who is all-sufficient. We have a Savior who says to us in Matthew 11 verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Believe on Him. Trust in Him. Rest in Him. There is nothing. Nothing. Can separate you from Him. Even your sins, which may be very great, maybe those sins rise up against you in your mind right now, and the devil whispers in your ear, you're too sinful. Your sins are too great. There's no sin too great for Jesus to cover with his blood. He is the mighty, the complete, the all-sufficient Savior. And he's my Savior. That's where we end. My Savior. Sometimes we miss this beautiful part of the Apostles' Creed, how personal it is. What's the very first word of the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord. I believe. It's a personal confession. It's not an abstract confession. It's not a confession merely about other people. It is a personal confession. Not merely is the Son of God a Savior. But this Jesus is my Savior. That's what the believer says. That's what the believer knows by faith. That's what the Word of God tells us. Think of Jesus' words in John 10 verse 14. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Salvation is not a contract. It's not a business relationship. It's not even merely a, a service, an undeserved service that our Savior renders unto us, but salvation is ultimately relational. Through His saving work, Jesus Christ unites us to Himself, makes us partakers of Himself, brings us into His communion, communion and fellowship with Him. As the Catechism says in its opening Lord's Day, those blessed beloved words, I belong to Jesus Christ, body and soul, in life and in death. And that's my comfort. He's my Savior. My complete, my effective, my mighty, my only Savior. Jehovah's salvation to me. And that simple gospel truth is the secret of true happiness, beloved. The world races here and there in the pursuit of happiness. Looking, striving, searching, and always coming away empty. And even when the world thinks it's found happiness, you get to that graveside, and that so-called Savior is proven vain. 
Here's happiness. Here's safety. Here's peace. Here's joy. Jesus is my Savior. And I belong to Him. Because He's redeemed me freely by His grace. And made me one of God's children. Whatever my circumstances, whatever I'm going through, whatever my feelings are right now, whatever loss I endure, I can always say this. Jesus is my Savior and therefore it is well with my soul. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank Thee for this word. A simple word, a straightforward word contained in that most beautiful of all names, Jesus. We thank Thee for Him, for our Savior, who died for us, who rose again for us, who bore our sins, who brings us life, who delivered us from the greatest peril, and brings us everlasting safety and joy in Thy fellowship. Strengthen us, Father, to resist our sinful flesh, to resist all of the siren calls of our world to put our trust in something else or someone else. But may we steadfastly cling to the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ, and be happy in Him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.